Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Now on Blackland, this is Black History Month. Here's some history. The year 1928, Adolphus Stroud was good and fast, good enough to be included in the Olympic trials. Unfortunately, despite that promise, um, they told them that, um, sorry, uh, for whatever reasons, uh, we can't allow you to ride on a train and we can't um, uh, fund your travel. It's always something. But he had to get there and determined he would. Travel with me to the 1900s and the story of the Stroud family. I'm going to let a descendant, Frank Shines, peel back the layers of his family. This black family wasn't as we typically think in the South. They were in the West, Colorado Springs, Colorado. And Frank's grandfather, Tandy Stroud, along with his grandfather's older brother, Adolphus Stroud, were athletic, academically brilliant, and black. Both ran track. Adolphus was real fast, so fast, he was a contender for the Olympics. Hear his trial and his trip on Blackland. And now, as a brown person, you just feel so invisible. Where we're from. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, I welcome you to this joyful day. We celebrate freedom. Where we are. Get on the ground. I know someone heard something. And where we're going. We the people means all the people. The Black Information Network presents Blackland with your host, Vanessa Tyler. There is so much black history not in history books. And at a time when there are efforts to eliminate what little of our history is told, I have a story I'm certain you've never heard, but proves our courage and resiliency. Here to tell it? is Frank Shines, who has the Stroud family blood running through his veins. Frank, welcome. Uh, Thank you for having me. Uh, Much appreciated. The story of the Stroud family is fascinating. Let's start with Dolphus Stroud. Take us right back to 1928. Yeah, sure will. Um, 
so the family moved in 1910 um, from Indian Territory to Colorado Springs, and that's where Dolphus grew up. And in 1928 is the um, time when he decided that he was going to make a run for the Olympics. And um, so he began to train. He was not allowed to train or even work out on the high school track or with a high school track team. So the coach, a white coach, gave him a, a regimen and showed him how to do some basic uh, stretching and exercises and training, um, and then told him to run up and down Pikes Peak, which is the longest, the, the largest um, uh, summit there in the Colorado Springs area, about 14,000 feet. So that's how he began to train. And um, in June of 1928, he won the Rocky Mountain Region um, Olympic tryouts for the 5K race. Um, that automatically qualified him for the Olympic trials uh, to be held at um, Harvard Stadium and Cambridge. Um, and um, unfortunately, despite that promise, um, they told him that, um, sorry, uh, for whatever reasons, uh, we can't allow you to ride on a train and we can't um, uh, fund your travel. Not so, surprised. So he yes. got he had everything he needed, but uh, there was always the obstacles. Exactly. And of course, his coach said, you know, you know, listen, you've done your best. And his parents and the family, um, you know, confided in him and, and said, you know, hey, you know, let's just get ready for Colorado College. And and he said, no, um, let me spend the weekend. I'm going to go up to the mountains, as he often did. And uh, he went up to um, the Rocky Mountains and thought about it over the weekend, came back down and um, had made his decision that he was going to make it. Um, one way or another. Um, and so he set out on foot a few days later on June 25th at 4 a.m. with a 40-pound backpack, a golf club, and $10 in his pocket. Wow. So here he is, a teenager in the 20s, a black man. Right. Going, what, 2,000 miles from Colorado to Harvard University where these Olympic trials were? Exactly. That's exactly it. And okay. at that time, his his brother had been writing things and been involved with um, anti-lynching because that was a big issue. So so obviously the, the family was very concerned about his safety for that reason. I was going to ask you, how dangerous was it for a black man to be traveling across the country like that? Yes, extremely dangerous. And at, at that point, there were only about 15, less than 20 percent of Americans even had cars. So he, you know, he was hoping he might get a few rides. But of course, that made things even more dangerous um, out on the roads. And he, uh, he encountered um, a lot of violent people. He also encountered a number of uh, people who were very helpful and helped him along in a lot of different ways. He um, came across a lot of wild dogs at night and he had to run up trees and things of that sort. So it wasn't, uh, yeah, it wasn't an easy going, that's for sure. Was it any kind of like underground help, um, maybe from black home to black home? I mean, where, where, did, he, where did he sleep? Where, where did he eat? mostly outside, uh, many times in cemeteries um, along the way, uh, parks. But um, yeah, he found um, every once in a while he would find a black family. Uh, in fact, many times when, you know, the weather um, got particularly bad, storms and so forth, uh, he would knock on doors and, and ask if they would let him in or let him just sleep at the back with the barn with the, with the animals. And they would say, no, go down the road. There's a black family somewhere down there, another five miles <laughs> And so he would walk on and, um, you know, be difficult to find those those black families. At that time, there also obviously wasn't much communication of any sort. And so things were happening by telegram. 
Uh, one thing that did happen is once he arrived outside of Chicago, um, he got news that the uh, someone on the road said um, they want you to stop by the the um, the station. And he goes, well, "What station?" He said, "The news, the news station." Um, so it was the Chicago Daily News. He stopped by there, and they um, did a quick interview, communicated information, and then put out in all the newspapers. Um, this uh, gentleman, Adolphus Stroud, is making it for. <laughs> For Olympics and um, and gave him a sign to put on his back when he was walking, and that's when he started to get getting rides, and that's when a lot more uh, black folks along the uh, the roads and so forth helped him. But but people of all colors and genders and races helped him after that point. Wow! So he finally makes it. What happens then? Yes. So uh, twelve days later, he arrived just six hours before the start of the race, and. Um, during those six hours, he's, he, he, sp he writes in his notes, I spent those in the three blocks, two hours uh, putting on, you know, a black man putting on a red, white and blue. He took a lot of pride in that. The reason he, he went across is he said he, it was for three things, um, his family, the Rocky Mountain region and people of color around the world. And so when he put on the, the, um, the uniform, he had a lot of pride in that. And then he said he was just so tired. He wanted to stay awake. And that was the only thing he could think about. So he walked um, along the corridors of the um, of Harvard Stadium. He had been accepted to Harvard in 1925 as a, when he graduated from high school as the, uh, the valedictorian, number one. However, um, he couldn't afford to go to the college. So when he was there on, on the campus for the first time, he, he went through the library. He, he hoped about you know, winning the Olympics, making it to the Olympics, winning the Olympics and being able to afford to go to, to Harvard. And then the last third of the time, the last two hours, he spent just trying to stay awake, warming up and being ready for the race. Um, the gun went off. What happened next? 1925, black man Adolphus Stroud walked 2,000 miles. He was good enough to make it to the Olympic trials, but the color of his skin prevented him from getting the funding like the others on the track team and traveling, resting on a train ride there. He walked. He was exhausted. Could he pull it off? He said he went to run and his legs wouldn't move. He felt like he was running in mud and cement. And all of a sudden, he noticed people starting to pass him. Um, eventually, he made it through six laps before he finally uh, collapsed from malnutrition and, um, and exhaustion. Wow. But at least he made it, and at least he ran the race. That's right. You mentioned Harvard. The people back home in Colorado couldn't really deny his first, his athletic ability. And they couldn't deny his in intelligence. Talk about how intelligent Dolphus was. Yes. Interestingly enough, um, and, and when I first began to understand his story, I, I didn't know the story of my family, to be quite honest with you, which was really an unfortunate thing is for many of us African-Americans and, and even others. But growing up, um, you know, at the time, Oakland, California, would have one of the highest crime rates in the country. So um, we were on welfare with my four younger sisters. And my mom, unfortunately, she had um, part of the family um, from my grandfather's side um, um, had passed, had, had received some sort of ailment. And they eventually they thought it was originally uh, schizophrenia or some forth. They, they ultimately found out it was Huntington's disease. Um, and, um, and because of that, I never knew my family's story because my mom was not always coherent and I couldn't understand half of what she's saying, whether it was true or not and so forth as a kid. 
So, so consequently, I didn't know about this until I was in Colorado Springs and I got a phone call from my aunt Lulu um, there at the Air Force Academy. And so that's when uh, she had asked me, she goes, um, so how's it going at the Air Force Academy? I've been trying to reach you for the last three days. And I said, yeah, I was in survival training. She goes, so how'd it go? And I said, well, I, I won. I, out of all the cadets, I got the top awards. And she goes, what else are you doing? There? So I said, I'm on a gymnastics team and so forth. She goes, do you know where that comes from? And I had no idea what she meant by that. She goes, do you know about your grandfather, Tandy, um, and the history of Dolphins here in Colorado Springs? And that's when I began to understand just how prolific uh, both of them were um, as athletes, as scholar athletes, um, Tandy graduating number two, um, Dolphins graduating number one. And so I said, okay, this there's something going on here. It isn't just them. Katie, their father, was raised, was born and raised on a Texas plantation um, up until age 19. Then they um, made it to Indian territory he, where he married a Creek Nation um, Indian lady by the name of Lulu McGee, my great-grandmother. But while he was there, he helped build Langston University. He attended Lang Langston University. He studied, studied under the tutelage of an attorney. And so when he went to Colorado Springs, what the children would, would tell us um, later was that um, they were happy to go to school because the tests in school were so much easier than their father, KD's. So that is really where it came from. Uh, he believed in education. Um, he taught it to, their, to the children. He forced them to read books. They had uh, encyclopedias, they had a piano, they had a had trombone, they had a violin in the house. And so um, I think it, it came from a lot of that. He had two older siblings who I'm certain also passed on knowledge to him as well um, as he prepared to enter, um, enter high school. But um, he was super, uh, he was just super gifted. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, like I said earlier, your family is fascinating. Just to make sure, uh, for clarification, Dolphus had a brother, Tandy. That's who yeah. you're referring to. That was my grandfather. grandfather. Okay. Yeah, my, yeah, my, so, um, so they would, uh, so Tandy was Dolphus's younger brother and they, they competed. <laughs> they really competed <laughs> both in the classroom and on the field. In fact, a couple of years after that race, Tandy was winning uh, the uh, Denver Marathon and he collapsed uh, less than a mile and a half from the uh, the finish line. And, um, and, and, and Dolphus was right behind him, of course. And, and, uh, and, and Dolphus went to help him. He goes, no, make sure a shroud wins the race. I'll be okay. Uh, and they mm -hmm. found him at the hospital several hours later, but uh, Dolphus ended up winning that race against many of the people he had competed against in the Olympics. So, so yes, um, the, the family story is, um, as I, as I got to learn more about it and I spent time with my, my grandfather when he was 83, I uh, spent some time back uh, in California where he was living at the time when I was uh, in pilot training. And that's when he began to tell me a lot more of the stories. What was it in them? You mentioned um, their parents, but to make them fight and hold on to to have a place in this world, it, it, it couldn't have been easy. I know it wasn't easy. Right. Yeah. In fact, uh, what what Nina told us. So Nina is, is we call her the professor of the of the of the family, Nina, because her, her real name was was number nine is what they originally called her because they couldn't keep up with all these kids. Uh, so he, she was the ninth of the 11 children. And so uh, she um, was in California. She was a, a adjunct professor at uh, UC Berkeley. And um, she was the first black teacher, um, public teacher uh, in Colorado Springs uh, School District. And so she kept a lot of the, the history of the family that I later found out about. And she said that the, uh, the parents, uh, that Lulu and Katie would force the kids to be competitive. And so, and, and, and they wanted that for them because they know, knew how difficult it was going to be for them when they went outside of the family um, in, in, a, in a prominently white um, 
almost all white uh, uh, elementary school, Bristol uh, school, and and now uh, well, Colorado Springs High School, Palmer High School now. Um, so so that's the way they prepare them. They uh, make sure they are very competitive. They force the, the older children to teach the younger children. Uh, and they they every day um, at the dinner table, uh, KD would say, OK, who had the smartest event in class today? And they would all kind of vie for, OK, I did this or I learned this or whatever it was. So so it was a, a lot of uh, internal rivalry. You know, I think about, uh, you know, black, a black family in Colorado. It just seems uh, very unique. Uh, but talk about the roots from Africa. Uh how how did they even get to Colorado? Yeah, so um, this part of the story is, is, is it's it's actually just so fascinating, and and I confirmed it through my own DNA analysis with Twenty Three and Me as I was trying to really piece together everything. So my father's side of the family is from Nigeria. Um, the Shines, the Strouds, are from Ghana, and in eighteen forty two, um, an African girl was born leaving Georgia to the Stroud plantation there. And they uh, separated her from her parents. And um, ultimately she ended up on uh, what was called Pleasant Retreat. It's actually in the Library of Congress um, associated with June 10th as a, a seminal event uh, on June 10th. Um, that Stroud plantation in Limestone County, um, Texas is where she grew up um, and was born in 1842 in, um, in Georgia. And she, um, apparently created a lot of incidents. She was very strong-willed. Um, mm. And at one point, uh, they beat her uh, quite uh, extensively, and she had scars on her back, and there's stories in the family um, about the uh, about the head um, of the household, the young lady who, um, who had done this. But um, the, um, the plantation owner, Mandred, had an affair with a Tawakini Indian, Native American Indian. And um, nine months later, this uh, child shows up on the doorstep at the plantation at the big house, and everybody's wondering what's going on. And he had to confess about the uh, the affair he had to his wife, and so they ostracized this kid, um, and so he lived with primarily lived with the slaves, with the uh, with the Africans. And um, when he grew older, um, and this was by now right around um, 1865 uh, time period. He wanted to marry uh, that young lady, the African slave, um, Kimball, my great, great grandmother. And so that's kind of the story of how things happened because of all the racism and, and all the violence there. Mandret then decided, I'm going to move you guys. Um, he called it out of the country to Indian territory because Indian territory was considered, you know, a different country. Right. So um, he helped them move to Indian territory. And that's where Dolphus then began to thrive. Um, under the tutelage of um, of the professors um, and the teachers uh, there at Langston University. Wow, we are speaking with Frank Shines, a descendant of the incredible Stroud family, a Black family that fought hard to overcome the obstacles of racism. In fact, Dolphus Stroud in 1928 made it to the Olympic trials, but he had to get there. And of course, they wouldn't pay a black man's transportation across the country. So he walked 2000 miles. I wanted to ask you, how, how did he get back to Colorado after participating? Wow, that's a great question. You know, almost no one ever asked that question. They always say, well, what happened? They don't know what happened. And that was it, right? I give them the cliffhanger. Oh, he arrived there six hours before. 
Um, this was the most fascinating thing. Um, he, he talked about in his notes how he was hallucinating even during, um, at different points uh, during the walk out, during the march, the journey out to, um, out from, from Colorado to Cambridge. And he said that, um, you know, before he finally uh, fainted um, during the sixth lap, uh, he said that he just thought, maybe I can make it. And then he fainted. And then he said he, he woke up and he was talking to this guy, Joey Ray. Now, Joey Ray was the seminal long distance runner of the time, uh, had won all of these uh, great world championships and, and everyone knew about Joey Ray. Well, he was talking to this gentleman. He wasn't sure who it was. Um, and he, this gentleman asked him, well, tell me your story. How'd you get here? And, you know, I, I saw what happened back there. He had just assumed, apparently, that this gentleman had spoken with him right after the race. It literally was two hours later because Joey Ray, I found out later, uh, his race was two hours later on the same track. So, so Dolphus must have laid there just completely out of it. And so when he later looked at these envelope, there's an envelope that Joey Ray had left him. And only then he, did he understand that this was the great racer uh, runner, Joey Ray. And there was an envelope and it said, I understand, you know, you didn't have a plan for getting back. You only thought about getting here. Call this gentleman uh, or talk, reach out to this, the, the ex executive director at the YMCA in Boston. And that's how he was able to spend uh, the summer uh, working at restaurants. Um, they gave him lodging. Uh, he made uh, a boatload of money, according uh, to him. He bought a suit and he was able to afford a first class train trip back home. So uh, that's how he ultimately returned back to Colorado. Wow. Into a blaze of glory. And yeah. was Joey Ray black or white? He was a white gentleman. Yes. You know, there is a photo that I saw on your website of the family. Oh, vintage. They're dressed in the nines. They look wealthy, proud, determined. Do you know which photo I'm referring to? Yes, it's the iconic, it's iconic. Uh, 1929 uh, photo that was actually requested from W. Du Bois for the Crisis magazine. And so they sent out a photographer because they heard about the family, but they also heard that during that time, this Black family was flourishing because uh, Katie Stroud had figured out a way to uh, create a trucking company to do haul, uh, to haul ash and also to pick up garbage. So uh, they created the first kind of um, subscription for uh uh, for for dumps and, and trash uh, there in the Colorado Springs area. And that's why uh, the family uh, was successful for, for that short period of time before, uh, unfortunately, Katie um, uh, came down with glaucoma. And at that time, they didn't have any way to cure it. So he became blind. But yeah, that's um, that was the story behind that iconic uh, 1929 photo. Beautiful photo. Your family is incredible, as I've said. Um, there are so many relatives that you have and so many like tangents and other stories, that's enough to do a documentary, isn't it? Yes, it is. And that's exactly what we're, we're doing right now. It's called Running to Harvard. And I've got a great crew, um, award-winning crew, uh, cinematographer Kyle Hatchett. Uh, we got Mike Pock, who's the historian, photographer, a longtime uh, friend of the family and, um, and great friend of all of Colorado Springs and Denver. And then um, the executive director, Ralph uh, Michael uh, Giordano, who's created many film festivals and other events and just a great uh, filmmaker in his own right. Brag about yourself just a little bit more. You mentioned something about flight school. Uh, what's your what's your background? Yes, um, my background, as I mentioned earlier, um, by hook or crook, um, 
me and my 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 older sister, my two younger twin sisters, they end up dying prematurely, as did my father for my 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 mother for the reasons that we talked about earlier associated with her health. Uh, but but um, somehow my older sister and I, we made it out of the hood. Um, at that time, because the way things were in California, my mother automatically received custody of us. So my father finally came back into our lives. We moved up to Washington State when I was 13 years old, went to school there. Um, and then I just began to flourish um, academically, um, uh, as well as athletically, was on a gymnastics team, uh, captain, uh, honor society. Um, I was a vocal jazz and cellist uh, and um, got to travel around competing um, in all of those um, different types of extra extracurricular activities. And because of that, um, the Air Force Academy um, ultimately uh, gave me a presidential appointment uh, to the Air Force Academy. Uh, I went there, learned to fly, studied management and engineering and uh, met the Tuskegee Airmen. Um, and a number of other great people, whether it was the Kissingers or some of the presidents and vice presidents, it was just amazing experience, uh, the four years there and, uh, was the captain and MVP of the, uh, the gymnastics team. And so part of the reason, uh, Lulu was really curious was because she was trying to, um, help me understand the connection between Dolphus, who had this aspiration for the 1928 Olympics. And here we are more than 60 years later. And I was competing um, and training against uh, Olympic gymnasts there at the Air Force Academy uh, and the Olympic Training Center. So um, that was my that's my background. I went on the, uh, to, to pilot training in uh, Arizona um, and then went on to work with the military doing management engineering, which is kind of a combination of industrial engineering and management consulting. And the, the military uh, sent me to school, covered 75 percent of all of my my graduate uh, studies um, and um since then, went on to travel around the world, working with IBM and Ernst & Young, uh, lived in Brazil for over a year, and um, it's just been a really great experience. Um, and I can only thank uh, the family and the support of a lot of coaches and teachers, uh, many of them black along the way, who believed in me, um, and then later began to understand you know, how to believe in myself after I understood more about our family history. And what a history it is. And you were recently reunited with a sister? Yes. Oh, boy, you've done your research. Um, um, so, yeah, this is kind of emotional. I apologize. But um, um, when my when we were separated from my mother, my mother had um, a young daughter, Margaret, and had just uh, become pre pregnant with um, a younger um, sibling, a, a son. My, my, I'm sorry, her son my, would have been my younger uh, brother. But we never met them because we were separated. And um, so Margaret, who we knew at age two, we searched everywhere. Me and my sister searched um, after we graduated from high school and college, and we just could not find out um, what had happened to Margaret. And um, about three years ago, she was looking. She found Stroud family. She saw a very another iconic photo of Lulu Stroud, um, of a little baby sitting in a in a chair and someone is one of her friends says that kid looks just like you and you're a little baby. She goes, no, I don't think so. And she looked around and she saw my name and saw shines. And she goes, I think this may be my family. And so um, I got an email um, and I gave her a phone call. We started talking and sure enough, um, her name had been changed to Lisa, uh, but the uh, little two-year-old Margaret, uh, 44 years later, I got her on a plane to show up for, um, 
the opening of Race the Opera, which uh, we performed there in Colorado Springs at the Pioneers Museum. Uh, she attended that to a sold out audience. Um, she was sitting right in the front and, um, and we opened and, and provided the whole backdrop for, you know, an African slave who had this vision to write a song called Anthem of Heaven. And now it's being featured as part of Race the Opera and some of that music will be included in the documentary. So, so yeah, that's, uh, that's how we were reunited 44 years later. Amazing. Now your family also has the honor of having a display at Colorado College. That must be great and, and certainly another proud moment for the Stroud family. Yes, it is. And um, I got a phone call just before COVID in December of 2019, and it was the president of Colorado College. Um, she knew of the work I had been doing as a as a as a family historian and invited me as well as a number of other people out and they didn't really explain what was going to happen. And then we were uh, met with the press and, um, and all the honors around what was, what they, what, what they created, which is called the Stroud scholars. Um, and, um, we've since have brought in, well, I guess four different cohorts of children. I shouldn't call them children, young adults from high school, all the way up through college level, uh, through the program. And that first first cohort is now in their sophomore year in colleges around the country, um, and um, and then they also dedicated the VIP floor, the fourth floor of the Robeson Arena, a new arena that was created um, in Colorado Springs on the campus. They dedicated that to Dolphus and the family as well. So it was a, a pretty um, a powerful um, series of days and events that took place. How can people learn more about your fascinating family? It's just so many layers. It's just amazing. And when will the documentary uh, be revealed? The documentary will be revealed later this year. Um, and right now we are on target for it happening just before the Olympics in July. Knock on wood. Um, and um, best way to reach us is just go to runningtoharvard.com. Or if you want to look at Stroud Family of Colorado, just search Stroud Family Colorado and you'll see our website come up, stroudfamilycolorado.com or runningtoharvard.com. And finally, what's the message you want our people to take away from your family's story? Yeah, um, I didn't see people like me in the textbooks. I didn't see people like me um, in most of the prestigious um positions growing up in Oakland, California. I believed, you know, and was excited about the Apollo mission. I had no idea that Jack Stroud, my great uncle, was the gentleman who wrote the formula to safely return astronauts from moon, the moon to Earth. So how many other hidden figures are out there that we don't know of? My hope is um, there are two questions I often get when I talk about the family, go out in public speaking and so forth. One is, wow, what an incredible family. But the other is, how did you do the background and research to find your family? On the Shine side of the family, we can't find hardly anything. We've been lucky on the Stroud side of the family that we've had some great people. So the message would be, um, believe in all of us. Um, the stories that are out there um, are incredible. And um, I wish everyone well and hope that perhaps in a small way, uh, we're in a presidential ele election year, we're in an Olympic year. My hope is that uh, perhaps this untold Olympic story might just help to heal our nation as well. 
uh, because we certainly need to find a way to work together better and reduce the polarization. Thank you. As we celebrate Black History Month, this is Black History We Need to Know. Frank Shines, producer of the documentary, Running to Harvard. Thank you for keeping this legacy alive. Next time on Blackland with Vanessa Tyler, what is it about true crime that has us hooked? We're going in to solve that mystery. You have to hear this. I talk with a sister who calls herself the longest living Jane Doe. It had taken me over 20 years of searching for my true identity to discover that I had been missing for well over 50 years. They were on the impression that I was psychologically unbalanced. On the next Blackland with Vanessa Tyler. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information hey guys back at the playground again huh yep you know what this playground could use a wine country heck yeah and some waves so we could go surfing oh, <laughs> i love that a redwood forest would be cool i'm in ah ski slopes let's do it um tenor girl go shopping yeah baby wait did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.